Alright, so if you guys have noticed, I just played that Beyonce song as an intro because the numbers are out and this podcast has 82% male listenership. I almost shed a tear. I have <laughs> my podcast is a sausage fest. <laughs> I don't know if I'm laughing or crying, but the fact that 82% of you dudes out there listen to me week after week, I'm happy for it. I love y'all. Shout out to all of you guys. But damn, ladies, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> like, it, it almost like most of the ladies reach out on the podcast and they do listen. But when it's 82% guys, I'm not doing something right. So hopefully if this, if, if that intro helped you, <laughs> you lady listeners out there, tell your girlfriends to subscribe because I can't have 82% male listenership. Bro, what am I going to be selling? Manscaped for the rest of my life? Oh, man. Anyway, enjoy the show. I have to go point that out. Uh, Anchor just dropped its Spotify analytics, and now I know my age, you know, my the sex of my listeners, where they're from, all this other jazz. And then when I saw 82% male, my jaw dropped. <laughs> like, I'm doing something wrong. Anyway, y'all, enjoy the show, and y'all be good, man. Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm changing everything. If I'm getting 82% listeners, I got to do something different. I don't know if the way I'm talking is too aggressive. May have to soften my tone a bit, come off a bit more, you know, finesse. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I sound too aggressive. (laughs) 82%? Damn it! (laughs) Welcome back to another episode of High TV's Cannabis News Now. Now, Granted, this episode is going to be a bit different. And the reason why it's going to be different is instead of me recording how I normally do, I'm going to record in the outdoors, right? I'm going to record amongst the elements, if you will. And the reason why I'm doing that is not because I want to see how the podcast sounds on me being outdoors, but more so to see how the podcast sounds while I'm doing a weed side chat. Now, for those you, for those history buffs out there, you know what I'm talking about. Back in the day when we were going through the Great Depression, you know, was that in the 30s and FDR was president, he had fireside chats. That's when radio became a big medium where you would listen to him in your household. And I guess the fireside chats you would have would make people feel much more calm during their travesty of a life. And here in 2020 is what we're going through in a way is A tragedy, right? In which we understand the world is changing. I've got to say it all over again. But hopefully the fireside chat can help you guys out during that time. Now, granted, I do realize if I'm going to smoke through this podcast, I might as well give a few breaks so that uh, I can get the puffs in accordingly. You know when you're smoking, is terrible for the fire to get, you know, dead after a while. Like, let's say you're having a conversation with a friend, you both got joints in hand, and you're deep in a conversation, you forget to take a puff once in a while because you're more so focused on the conversation, and now you check back and you can't even smoke it because the fire's all dead. Hopefully, that doesn't happen too many times during this episode. But nonetheless, like I said, this is going to be a bit different. And as always, as always, we give you the cannabis news, but of course, we want to have some conversation beforehand because I think it's much better to parlay before we get into the business, right? Imagine you, a business person, you meet somebody who you're planning to do business with, and the first thing y'all talk about is business. Nah, talk like human beings first, and then we get into the business, all right? So with that being said, okay, I have a question for you guys. How bad do you think the COVID aftermath will be? Now, honestly, I assumed in episodes earlier that I thought around the end of July, you know, things would be better. It's the summertime. Hopefully, the 
heat will do something to the virus, but I don't think the heat has anything to do with the virus. Because here in Florida, it is hot as hell. Legit on my car thermometer, right? I don't have a, like a thermometer for the household in my car. My car tells the actual temperature. And it was 103 degrees. And imagine you in 103 degree weather putting on a mask on your face. How are you going to feel? You're going to be uncomfortable after a while. Now, I'm not excusing these Floridians out here for catching COVID, but I can see where wearing a mask can be uncomfortable. You know, it's super humid, all right? It's swampy. A lot of uh, Florida, especially South Florida, is built on swamp territory, so the humidity is wild, right? We're in a place where gators and fucking turtles should be, right? And, and, and we're not. So with that being said, I think the reason why people are catching COVID is because it's too hot and they're not wearing a mask. They're not comfortable. They're at ease. They're on unease, rather. So that being said, we're not seeing an end to the virus as I predicted before. We're seeing a continuation, if not a bounce back to what it was. Similar to when you have an earthquake, this is the aftershock. And the aftershock isn't even a lesser earthquake, if you will. It's a much stronger one. Because in Florida, I think we're having 12,000 cases. I think we beat the single record by having 15,000 in one state in a day. And as I talk about the fire dying out, the fire died out. So let me talk about this, then into the cannabis, we'll go ahead and light it up when that happens. So how bad will it be, right? We're seeing changes in a lot of different things. We're seeing bars being closed. For instance, here in Broward County, listen, here in Broward County, which is like the county that went to college and was a bit more responsible and can buy a house, that's Broward County, all right? Miami's still the troubled youth trying to figure everything out and it's crazy down there, <laughs> okay? Broward is at the north of Miami for those of you who've traveled to Miami very uh, often so that being said Broward County where I currently reside they're making rules that they probably should have they're making rules that sound crazy but they wouldn't have to make these crazy rules that they had some damn sense in the past now Florida opened up earlier than everywhere else I believe it was Georgia and Florida being the first and they thought oh it's gonna be okay we have to protect the business owners right cool they did that, and look what the situation we're at now. So, because the amount of cases per day are increasing like a roller coaster that's nonstop, like you know, you go on a roller coaster and it goes creek, 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 and it just keeps going. It doesn't stop. It's going higher and higher in the sky, and that feeling in your gut of sickness, you know, and and, and nauseousness is increasing. And that's what we're going through here in Florida. How bad can it get? And so I ask the question again. We see how bad it is, but how bad will the effects be? You know, how, will bars be the same as they were before? Are there going to be much less people at bars nowadays? You know, or there could be an inverse. Because we haven't been at bars in so long and often as we would, there's going to be a huge influx of people who miss the bar and will go in the beginning. And that's plausible, but they could also catch COVID by be doing the same thing. And listen, the strategy works. The strategy of me saying, let me see, let me let these people go out here in Florida like it's nothing outside. The state's reopened. We're no longer on quarantine. Let them go ahead and do their thing and let's see how what happens. And what has happened is everybody's getting sick. And so I think the long-term effects to answer the question will be education will be completely different. I think at-home education and at-home work would be a much more of a reality for many people. I think at-home offices would see much more improvements and investments in making it a much more 
aesthetic looking office because you're going to be on FaceTime a lot, right? If you're at work remotely and also have it be comfortable, right? So probably chair seats and desk and things of that nature, office supplies in general are going to see a rise, not because of, you know, wholesale office supplies, but more of the higher quality, you know, non-mass sold items, you know? And with that being said, work, school school itself is changing. Harvard is having their classes all online, but have the same tuition, assholes. But I get it. You know, I get it. You guys got to keep up and pay the bills. How do you feel you're going to survive during this new world that we're living in? Do you feel like you can be better accustomed working at home? You can't wait to get away from, you know, John that doesn't wear deodorant. You know, for most of the week or that annoying Janice at your job who's just always complaining and being annoying. Or are you fine? Are you okay with this new reality we're in? Do you are you a uh a it was like a Malavert, Malaport, whatever it's called, the people a type of person, all right, that's not too fond of people. Right? I forgot the word that it means, but it basically means that you're not too fond of people. You'd rather be alone. You're most likely socially awkward or shy, and you just much rather enjoy life alone. And all, of course, with those who you love. So you don't mind going to the, not going to the office and having to say good morning to people you know, every day. You don't mind having to have bullshit, small talk conversations that really amount to nothing, but it's like socially cordial to do. Right, you much rather be at home and zoom who you have to zoom and get your work done on your schedule. You know, if you want to go to work at at your home in underwear, you can go ahead and do the same thing. So some people love these ideas. Some people were already living in a quarantine COVID lifestyle before COVID happened, and now their lifestyle's even better than what it was before. And it's interesting to me to see how this would have an effect on us socially. You know, I've watched something recently. I've I don't know how many of you guys are anime watchers back in the day, but uh, or even today. I used to watch Dragon Ball Z, right? I started an anime like most people did here in the States. I watched a show called Dragon Ball Z and became, you know, a fan of anime towards the end. And now, am I, am I a huge anime guy? I'm not. I'm not a huge anime guy. But I do catch on to shows that they're good. You know, Attack on Titans was something I very uh, recently latched onto because the soundtrack is great, the writing is great, the storytelling, everything. Much like I'm, I'm an avid, you know, enjoyer of TV shows and movies, same thing comes for animated, you know, anime. Now, with that being said, I was watching a, if you would say, a research video on YouTube that explained and answered the question, why are anime eyes so big? Because you know, if you ever watch animes, you notice that those big, those eyes are big as hell. Those eyes look like mosquito eyes on human beings in anime. Now, I never noticed why they did that. I thought that was just their style. You know, I thought that in Japan, you know, their eyes weren't as, you know, round as the U.S. would be. And so they, I guess, loved it. And it turns out that assumption was partly true. So I learned recently cool fact I learned, maybe you could share this with a friend of your anime, that the reason why eyes in animes are much larger and, and exaggerated is because one, first foremost, the culture of Japan is completely different than the United States. The culture of Japan would focus when communicating on eyes as expression and definition to what the words are meaning, much less than the U.S. Now, what I mean by that is we have a conversation, y'all parlaying back and forth, right? Parlay in French means talk. When y'all parlaying and you're, you're having a conversation, Americans tend to look at the mouth for expression and understanding, right? If you're being sarcastic in America, you can say something like, oh, man, I just love the rain, right? But then you see how the face looks and most likely the mouth, right? You're not saying it in like, I really love the rain in the genuine way. You're saying it like, I really hate the rain, right? The rain had to rain right now on my parade. Terrible. 
However, in Japan, when they communicate, the mouth doesn't matter at all. They actually have such a hard time discerning emotion from mouths alone. But when you put the eyes in there, they scored much higher it's because they focus on eyes. Now, with that being said, how does that come back to COVID? Random anecdote. Now, nah, it all connects. It all comes full circle. 360. Now, when you look at us in our current state, wearing masks left and right, okay, all of us got a mask probably in our pocket, you know, dangling on our rear view mirrors in our cars, or we have it on the passenger seat like me. So I feel like I'm not riding the car alone. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But nonetheless, we wear masks a lot more often. So would that now express how we perceive and communicate with each other? Will we now be looking at our eyes for expression because listen 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 you know exactly what i'm saying if you ever try to smile at somebody with a mask on you like almost fail to realize that when you're smiling they have no clue your mouth is curved right now so i'm realizing everyone when they are smiling are doing these eye things that are just so weird to me because it's not of the norm right like they're scrunching their eyes you know like they're doing like a face that you would make to a newborn baby in a crib as he's confused about the world and he's wondering why your face looks so stupid that's what everyone is doing they're smiling and it's like a, a weird way to do things I feel like uh, my eyebrows are more expressive than they've ever been. You know, I'm here like raising my eyebrows way more, showing emotion, you know what I'm saying, in the brows because I guess subconsciously I know I can't communicate with the mask on. Now, if we're communicating in a way due to, you know, COVID for months on end, you already know it takes 30, 30 days for a habit to form. It's something that's going to stay for a while. And I wonder how weird people's faces would be without masks because they most likely will communicate the same way. And that's not something that's so life-changing. It's just an interesting question that I thought to myself this week, I thought to share. You know, will masks, how will masks affect our future? You know, how romantic engagements go with masks on? You know, imagine you go on a date, you know, in COVID season, right, 2020. You got your mask on. You know, you guys dressed up nice and spiffy. You're excited for the date. You guys go out, eat dinner. It's a great time. All right. But the first date, maybe I don't kiss. Right. It's a little weird. Well, you don't kiss on the first date. That's that's perfectly normal. But then you go on subservient dates. Right. And of course, maybe something like physical contact ex exchanging biological fluids ain't really so conducive to staying healthy during this environment. But nonetheless, it gets to a point where y'all finally kiss. What if you went on a date with somebody for multiple dates, right? Mask on, and when they take the mask off, they look completely different. Like the mouth is like a jacked up now a mouth, looking like they could bite chunks into a desk with just their teeth. I mean, just bad stuff. Like the mouth is just nothing you want to put your mouth your mouth on, and you have no clue because because their uh their their face is covered. Now, granted, this might be a great time for those who are facially challenged to get dates because you're going to be having your mask on anyway and it's hard to have ugly eyes <laughs> it's hard it's really hard to have ugly eyes when's the last time you looked at somebody and said damn their eyes are ugly not really i mean let's say cross-eyed or something like that but still it's kind of cool right oh look at their cross-eyedness but nah the point is the point is i think it's time for them to you know take advantage of this masked up season you know go out there with more confidence your face is already covered up so you you, you got some points added on you know what I'm saying? all those negatives are now gone but just know when you take it off for that first kiss, you, they may be surprised. All right, shout out to all my facially challenged people out there. You know what I'm talking about. But nonetheless, another question I had to myself is how much more socially distant will we be in the future? Just because COVID is under control and there's a vaccine doesn't mean we'll be comfortable being so close to people. What if our personal bubbles have all grown in magnitude? And if our personal bubbles grew, 
how much larger did that grow? Because I know myself these days, if somebody comes into my circle, I kind of screw my face and look at them like, yo, are you stupid? Like, you know, six foot distancing right now. You're here crossing my path. Now, granted, I'm not communicating that verbally, but my face definitely expresses that. Like, yo, you're going to walk this close? We have a whole store around us. There's no reason why I should buy gas where the gas stations all have dots six feet separated from each other. And you are directly breathing on my neck. Like, I have the right to turn around and elbow you, elbow you in your jugular just so you can learn your lesson. Now, granted, a, a short tempo aside, <laughs> I feel like all our personal bubbles have gotten way larger. And so if our personal bubbles get larger, our genuine sociology and, 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 and social behavior is going to change to a way where what if we're less affectionate, right? Much less physical touch. What if our friendships don't become as strong as they would? Or maybe your friendships become strong, but through, through a different media like technology, right? All these children right now are growing up on, on uh, Fortnite, talking to each other on the mic for hours on end and any other game for that matter. And what if the text messages become a much more, well, you could call somebody and have a conversation. But what if these unpersonal communication and, and involvement is what we are going to be doing much more in the future because we've learned due to this disease that doing it is much easier, you know? And uh, what if there's a negative effect on our social behavior and effect any closer? We're not as close anymore. We're not getting to as many relationships. You know, we're already seeing a huge birth decline, not due to just COVID, but in general, a huge birth decline. Apparently, you have many countries whose population by 2050 will be halved Okay, in 30 years, the population will be halved. And that's not because of the invention of condoms and contraceptions. It's because people are having less kids. You know, here in America, it's the same thing. So how will that how will that be affected even now adding, you know, people having less kids due to finances to the fact that we're going to be much less social and much less comfortable in close situations. All right. I think the most close people have ever been was in the 60s, the love decade. Everyone's having fun and doing drugs and all type of things like that. But now we're in 2020. It's completely different. People are still doing drugs, but they're not having sex as much as they used to. They're not having children as they used to. You know, I think the number of average friendships has actually gone down uh, in, 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 the, in the years recently. And it's because we're not as social, we're not outside as much as we used to. You know, long-term friends, uh, the number have declined. And there's anthropological studies, you know, that are, that are done periodically to learn what our change in society and behavior is. And I think this COVID case, you won't see those results until years later. You know, when we see the statistics that have been affected, presumably by COVID. All right. Now, next thing is next thing all right so listen i'm gonna light this thing up i've been talking to y'all for a minute that's a nice little parlay i want to give you guys something that i was thinking about maybe you can think about it and ask the same question you know do you think covid will cause less relationships do you think that our communication with each other will change like are we going to be way more expressive in our eyes as if we have an hajib on you know who knows or burqa yeah if you got a bur you know, listen this is the best time to wear burkas. Like if you're if you're like, you know, from the Middle East and everyone has a mask on, you're like, yo, thank God I was able to wear have like a closet full of burkas. Now, granted, you can say burkas are, you know, go against your rights on femininity, 
or you're a feminist, so you go against burqa wearing in countries that do so. But nonetheless, I think if you got a burqa, you are happy as hell right now. Because you got to wear a mask. You got your burqa already covering your mouth itself. Those are probably the most healthiest people on this planet are those Middle Eastern women who wear burqas. Now, granted, they have a lot of issues going on outside of catching COVID, but I think they are the most healthiest, all right? They're not out in the clubs. You know what I'm saying? They're not out drinking beers. You know what I'm saying? Twerking to the new Megan Thee Stallion song. All right, they're inside the house. I was cooking up dinner in a burka. Now, again, I'm not trying to offend nobody. <laughs> what I'm saying they may be the healthiest people on earth. They got a closet filled of mouth covering attire. I think it's even nose covering too. It's just their eyes. Uh, anyway, man, I'm gonna smoke this real quick and we'll come back. So don't go anywhere. We have cannabis news. Here's a quick little sneak peek. We're gonna talk about Cure Leaf and why Cure Leaf is now the largest cannabis operator in the united states they making moves listen covid ain't slowing cure leave down at all at all all right dan blizzerman or dad blizzlerian how you say the hell's name dan bilzerian the guy from instagram that has all those fine women around him you know uh, he has like 50 women that he goes and travels with his guy got off a private plate this guy excuse me this guy had got off of a private jet when i was working for the private airlines Rather, all those private jets, they, you know, the people that would like, you know, fly the plane in with the two light up sticks in each hand, that was me. All right. And now not in my term, not on my term act, but on the one neighboring, he had landed and you knew he was Dan Blizzerman by his, uh, you know, little logo on his plane. And I've just heard there's just lots of women getting off the plane, like 30 girls walked off, like 30 of them. So anyway, this guy's a big party. He has crazy pictures of him snowboarding, you know, shirtless with a cigar in his mouth and women in bikinis around him, like real crazy photos. Look him up on uh, Instagram. Well, it looks like he's in hot water because he lost some money. And I'm going to tell you why he lost that money in a second. And last but not least, California cannabis arrests predominantly target blacks and Latinx people. Tell me something we don't already know. All right. See y'all later. Enjoy this little smoke break. You can smoke one, too, during this. Listen to the ad, then pause it, smoke up, and come back. I'll see you soon. Peace. Damn, nobody told me how bad doing a podcast would be with Cottonmouth. I've had to restart this second half of the episode a couple of times because I sounded like SpongeBob and Patrick and Sandy's waterless little bubble she had over there. Water! So I got myself a nice little bottle, drank up, and I hope I don't sound as dry mouthed as I did before. Like, yo, my voice sounded ashy. I had like some skin in the wintertime. For those of you that live in the summertime, for those of you that live in cold climates, and you know what I'm talking about when it's wintertime, there's no lotion on your elbows, and you walk outside and look like you can start a fire, you know what I'm talking about. All right, <clears throat> so I'm back. I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. So uh, as I promised, I am going to talk to you guys about the cannabis news and it looks like on cannabis side all we have is cannabis not much before or not much other topics available as i told you covid is the main focus not much cannabis news now so i'm gonna try and go ahead and make the best out of the cannabis stories we have first up we have cure leaf as you know there's a huge race to become the largest cannabis company in America, okay? You saw MedMen try its best but fail miserably. We see others are doing the same thing, such as uh, Satera Wellness, uh, Cure Relief, and, and others that are cannabis, excuse me, are 
countrywide companies. What I mean by countrywide cannabis companies is they're operating in multiple states. So therefore, they are holding the most market share when it comes to cannabis sales. Because in one state, they're selling, you know, uh, $210 million a month, or they're selling this amount of money per year. If you divide that up, if you're in a state, you can get those different market share and become the biggest companies. Now, what has been the biggest complaint of all recreational, legal, or medicinal cannabis users that buy from these big companies. The biggest complaint is the quality. The bigger the company, it seems, the lesser quality of product. And it seems like their goal, in my opinion, well, it's a hot take. I think a lot of these companies are growing for the simple fact of not providing consumers with the best product they can possibly provide, but rather grow the fastest way they can. They have a growth at all methods, ideology and strategy. And maybe the reason is the founder doesn't want to create the best cannabis company out there. They want to create the most valuable so that if they own the company, they can sell the company at a higher price and the creator of this company gets richer. And I think that's what my take is on this. No, that is what my take is on this. When I see companies who are growing much fast, as fast as Cureleaf is, and uh, my first thing is, yes, you're growing and you're becoming the largest cannabis company in the country, but it seems like you're just growing so that you can get bigger and bigger investments, you know, into your company so that you have more cash on hand to do whatever you are planning to do. It's very expensive to do these things. So all right, here's a strategy. I make a company. Right. And my goal is become the number one company in the market. So my goal is to find customers. Not provide the highest quality, but to grow the fastest. So to do so, I'll sell you guys a product at a very cheap price so that a lot of you guys can make money off of that product. I then do this again and again. And, and then I grow and I say, OK, I have enough revenue from selling all this cheap product to many different buyers my turn to buy a cannabis company so they buy these various cannabis companies who are struggling who are not making much money or in a case of grassroots are doing fairly well and that's what Curaleaf did Curaleaf decided to buy grassroots and the deal is finalized they now operate in 23 u.s states now when you're growing so fast you're making these acquisitions much like Curaleaf to grassroots you then think to yourself what's the next move their move now that they have all these investors are to focus on the investor first. Then they focus on the business and then they focus on the uh, consumers. The consumers come last in all of this. They're, they're the last ones to get paid, if you will. They get the focus in making a product and selling it to you first. And when it comes to paying back, they pay back the investors first, then everyone else. So that's what I think a lot of these cannabis companies issue is. They're not making the best cannabis products. They're not trying to make customers happy. They're not trying to do that at all. They're trying to become the most available product. They're trying to make, trying to have the product that creates the most profit share when they're sold, excuse me, sold or distributed at a wholesale level. And they're worried about growing in, in multiple locations so that they can get more market share, you know, project themselves as more valuable and get way more money. And if the founder does that correctly, which it seems like Court Curaleaf is doing, that guy's sitting on fat checks, all right? on pounds of pounds of cannabis. They're the largest in the country. Um, is Cureleaf public? I actually don't know if they're public or not. I have not looked for their stock, but I know that Cureleaf is pretty big down here in Florida. And if they're that big in Florida, I'm sure they'll be big in other places. Once you lock down a state like Florida with the top three, you know, or, or third in population, 
in America, you're going to win. You can't lose. So, of course, you guys are growing to grow. You don't care about the customers. You just want to get this investor money. And that's what I see now. Now, of course, you label me a hater. You can say I'm angry at this. I'm not. I'm not mad at all. I'm actually studying how these uh, individuals are making these moves and why they're making it. And that's why I came to that point was if you made these moves to grow the fastest, why are your customers still unhappy in multiple locations? And if they're unhappy, how the hell are you the number one company? And it makes me think then revenue probably isn't their biggest form of what they use to invest. They use the investments to invest. You know what I'm saying? They're using the hundreds of millions of dollars that are coming into them and just going ahead and buying another cannabis company, gaining assets and grow houses and dispensaries and this and that third and, and licensing, and then just do it again. So now basically on paper, you are a great company, but in actuality, the customers don't fuck with you. And you never want to be a business where the customers don't fuck with you. So keep it real, you know. Make sure you're focusing on customers and giving them the utmost quality that they expect from a legal business. You have the money to do it. And we'll see if you guys improve in the future. Next up, we have Dan Blazarian. I'm going to go put his at in the uh, description so you can know what I'm talking about. So Dan is a guy who made his money off of playing poker. I learned this on a Joe Rogan podcast where he basically said he was a gambler, made a lot of money off that, and then spend that into different business investments. Now, how he makes his real money, I don't know. When I saw the guy walking around with 50 girls, I'm thinking he's definitely not having sex with all of them. All right, that guy's probably already in his 40s. He most likely has Cialis phone number on speed dial, and that's what he, you know, uses so he can be active in these streets with all these 20 and 19-year-old women. Like, they're very young. I mean, they look great. Those are some fine women out there. But, Nonetheless, I know he's not, you know, with them like that, right? I, I'm thinking, you know, Hugh Hefner died, rest in peace, to create a Playboy, and Dan is trying to take his place. That's what I saw this play was. But it looks like in his, in his uh, what's the word I'm looking for? In his diversifying his portfolio of companies, he decided to get into the cannabis industry. And uh, his first product that I had witnessed was him actually selling hemp products. He was selling CBD joints, if you will, and that was his whole claim to fame. Let's just buy these joints from other people, put our label on it, and people will buy it. And I'm sure it's pretty done pretty well for me because if it hasn't gone very well, he wouldn't be getting investor money. And it looks like that investor money is why he's in trouble today. So apparently Dan Bl Bill Zerman, Bill Zarian accused of parting away Ignite funds amid $50 million loss. Now, if he was getting all these investments, chances are they were just, you know, confident in his ability to sell. And we're thinking that this thing was pretty easy because if, if this cannabis industry is brand new, let's get into market share, give him some money. He got the money for it. He built his company up. He also has a THC brand, but it looks like they're not doing well at all. They're operating at a $50 million loss. And the first place they blame Dan for losing that money is that is by not using his time and efforts to focus on the business or to invest the money they gave him in the company as he should. They're believed that he's supporting this Instagram worthy lifestyle of private jets, of flying everywhere, of paying for all these tickets and foods and all the expenses that come with having 50 women. Listen, fellas, fellas, yo, mans, I'm talking to y'all. You know how expensive it is to be in a relationship. You know how much finances you now have to think about is not just yours, but another finance that's dedicated towards having your, your female fed. That sounds so terrible. <laughs> having your female fed. You make it sound like a pet. I'm sorry, ladies. I mean, it sound so terrible. What I mean is 
we know as men how expensive it is to take care of you guys. We know how it is to make sure that you're okay. And the fact that that's one woman and how much financial expenditure you have to plan and think about. Imagine what this man goes through. He has 50 of them. Multiply your finance needs by 50, and that's how much this guy has to deal with. So I'm not surprised that all this money is going down the drain because you got to pay for a lot of things. And these 50 women aren't cheap. They have their own rooms. They or they, or they room with you. I mean, I don't know how big your bed is for 50 women, but that's kind of crazy. But nonetheless, these parties, the liquor, the drugs that he takes, the weed he has to smoke and the weed that he buys, that money's going down the drain. And if I'm an investor... I'm thinking to myself, why the hell would you invest in him? There's so much better and safer investments out there. And that begs the question or the lesson in this thing is people, people, listen, you get what you pay for. If you're going to pay for a cheap company where cheap company, I mean that the cost to invest in them is much cheaper. You're going to get the cheap result. All right. The guy's going to give you this amount of pay this amount of money for this large of a percentage of a company. Cool. It's a great bet. But nonetheless, you can put your money into this into, you know, Kiraleaf, who's not the biggest company in the world. I mean, good thing you didn't give your money to MedMen, who was falling gracefully from their red hoodie hung on the wall. But it looks like another case of you should have made a smarter move. So, Dan, I believe in wholeheartedly that the money was spent on his lifestyle, because if you click the description and see his Instagram profile, you're going to see what every 18 year old boy dreams of living like, you know, what I'm saying having women everywhere, drinking champagne, living a rich lifestyle. He's like a rich playboy, literally. He is the young Hugh Hefner at this point, but I don't know what his women do. And I won't even get into that. But nonetheless, he lost his money. And that's what happens, right? That's what happens. Last but not least, we're going to talk about the obvious. I told you guys, cannabis is light this week. We're going to talk about California cannabis arrests, predominantly black and Latinx. Now, I'm not surprised by this. I don't think it's news, but I have people who are listeners who may not fall under the melanated or Latin and black predominant ethnicity. And it's okay. There's no problem with that. So I just want to put it out there that California did its own study and found that even though cannabis is legal in California, most of the arrests were done on black and Latinx residents. I mean, I'm not surprised. I even know what to say on this fact. We know what this country is. We saw the protests recently. They're just evidence of the true problem that lies underneath. It's almost like if you're driving a car and your engine light goes on, that's evidence of the reality you're currently experiencing. So hopefully things can get better. Hopefully things can change. Sorry for the beep. But nonetheless, listen, man, even Massachusetts governor said that or political figure, I should say, said that he was disgusted by learning of the cannabis industry's inequalities that they exist. Listen, uh, people like myself just seem like we're just complainers, right? When we talk about race, especially when it comes to business, which people's minds, they think if you have the money for a license, you can play. Weed isn't, isn't a legal thing. It's very legal. I think you guys are just complaining and finding reasons to play victim. Cool. I get your argument, Chad. You know, you guys are always whining. Why are you guys just always talking about racism? Like, just get over it, okay? Some people are going to be racist, and some people are going to be in your way. You just go the other way. How hard is it to go left when everyone's going right? It doesn't make any sense. Listen, I don't mean to make Chad sound that way. I could make it much more believable, but that's how ridiculous I know someone (laughs) talks like. So it's funny to do it. But again, I get the argument. 
sure. But nonetheless, we live in America, too. And America, in its creed and, and, and creation, has these utterances of a utopia and shows anything but. You know, uh, the same things that occurred during the whole, you know, George Floyd case could be an episode on Black Mirror, you know, about how dystopian a society can get. And we don't do much to fix it. And that's the life we're going to live in. And we even see that same mentality that happened on one spectrum happen in the cannabis industry here, where the Massachusetts government has to outright say publicly how he feels about the inequalities in the cannabis industry. He also has to, you know, or across the pond, across the pond, across the country in California, these studies are done to show that these claims, these plights that we utter to you guys about what's happening in our world are being validated by numbers and science. It's hard to refute numbers and facts. And the fact is most people in California, even though the plan is legalized, are getting arrested, are minority people. They're black and, and, and Latin. And so hopefully we see change happen here. I mean, we always want change, but the change starts with you. And I think once they make these laws and, and things in place to protect these individuals who have seen the worst of the war on drugs, uh, potentially we'll see some improvement. But until then, uh, more of the status quo will continue. And my question is, now that you know this information, now we already talked about Dan Blizzman, whatever the hell his name is, and the $50 million laws that we talked about, Curly because the biggest company in the world. But on a smaller scale, as Massachusetts aims to dis or throw away or distance itself from, you know, vertical medical marijuana companies, how will you make your next move? Let's say you're a, my, you're a company in the cannabis industry. You know, you're not of minority descent. Will you make an effort to hire those individuals to work for you? Would you make an effort to open up the doors for someone of that descent to even be a competitor? You know, how will that become? It, 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 the second example was ridiculous. I, I mean, who does that, right? I'm going to make room for you to be in my business because you know what? You know what? I know what you guys go through and it's sad. Okay. So I know you have your own cannabis company and you call it blackweed.com. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and allow you to, you know, have a viable opportunity in this space because the war on drugs is messed up, man. And, and I just want to help it. I just want to help it out. So, uh, great luck to you. And, uh, yeah, I feel good about myself and I'm going to tell the whole internet about how I'm not racist because I helped you out. Just know that you're going to be my stories for the next five to 10 years. Cause some, for some reason I repeat when I do good things, it's almost like I want, you know, reaffirmation. They like it. You know, they really do. Uh, I don't know what that fucking came from, but you know what I'm talking about though, right? People out there will go ahead and publicize the good deeds they do. If you want to feed a homeless person, do it. Don't record yourself doing it, douchebag. You know, if you want to be anti-racist, do anti-racist things a numerical amount of times. Don't do one unracist act and then milk it for all the pride and glory you get from, you know, the woke side of the world. But nonetheless, again, this episode has been uh, great. Thank you for listening. Shout out to the subscribers who come in week after week. You guys really are the MVP. Much love to y'all. Even when I get, you know, dispassionate about, you know, the Hem International and cannabis media overall, because I see the lane is very minuscule and uh, hard to fight through. But you guys that come back every single week, you guys make that happen. You guys, you know, make sure I feel like this is a real thing, that the podcast has a real audience and we have a, a, a lot more places to go. So if you guys ever see me on Twitch or you recognize the voice, just know it's the same guy on high TV. I'm not ready to release the Twitch name yet, but I'm trying to build personalities on there 
for I mean, you guys know my personality is crazy. I go from one end to another, from one voice to another. So I'm trying to bring that flavor to uh, Twitch because I think uh, being a, a visual medium is much more stronger than a, than a you know, a, a, only auditorial medium. But nonetheless, I'll still record the podcast as always. But I also want to have other forms of content I produce that will be on Twitch. I could be myself. I could be funny. I could be mean. I could be informful. I could be nice. I could I could be kind. I could be a, a bunch of different things, just like any Gemini would. Every Gemini you know has a is a wild card. They feel one way this time. They feel another way that time. It is what it is. But anyway, yo, thank you for listening to another episode of High TV's Cannabis News. Now, wear your fucking mask. Keep yourself safe. Wash your hands. You nasty. And take care of yourself. Cause listen, COVID is out here and it is not playing games. All right, it's not playing game. Came back like it lost its keys. All right, so yo, catch y'all next week. And for the whole podcast swagger jacket thing last week, I don't apologize. I stand by those words. If you're gonna, you know. Be inspired by somebody. Don't be freaking lazy and just do the same shit that they do, hoping they've reaped the rewards. It's the content surrounding the little gimmick you do on your podcast that allows it to be successful. If you're gonna gonna copy, you know, two minutes of what guests do in a podcast, make it your own, and I'll show give you all the praise in the world. But if you're offended, you're upset, too bad. It's facts. It's reality, and I'll catch all you guys next week. Notice this episode has been much more calmer now that I'm smoking in the first half. And uh, if you like the first half better, go ahead and let me know in the comments. If you like the second half better, let me know in the comments or DMs. And uh, again, I'll catch you guys next week. Stay tuned. Stay high. High TV. For 50 cents a day, you can donate to this podcast so that we can one day have more than 12% listenership. For a dollar today, you can go ahead and donate to the podcast to end the Sasha's Fest that is high TV. <laughs> For $2 a day, you can go ahead and teach this podcast how to attract more female listeners. Find yourself, find in your heart that you can donate today. Because <laughs> 82% male listenership is a damn shame. <laughs>